This is one of the center's new series, Lore Civil Society Perspectives on the Emerging Digital World. Each discussion will be a call to action for civil society organizations to take a more active role in shaping our digital future. My name is Barbara Iverson. I teach interpersonal skills and intercultural management at Code University of Applied Sciences here in Berlin. And I will be your moderator for tonight's discussion. So today, like I said, we're taking a look at the issue of digital transformation and climate justice. So as an introduction, few in the civil society sector would dispute the opportunities the digital transformation might offer to support causes of social justice, to fight poverty and marginalization and other goals and values. But what strategies are required for the civil society sector to reconcile social and climate justice and to turn the digital tools into tools to promote climate justice? So I'm pleased to introduce our three panelists for today. They each approached this topic with similar but still quite different perspectives, and we're really looking forward to what they have to share with us today. So we'll take a few minutes here at the beginning for them to briefly introduce themselves, and they'll have between five and seven minutes to share their main perspectives and approach on this topic. So Stephanie is talking to us from Potsdam, which is very close to Berlin. Share with us who you are and what your thoughts are on this topic. Hello, everybody. Thanks for the invitation today. My main statement for today is that unless we rethink digitalization and redesign it politically and in business, it will tend to reproduce and, and likely accelerate the same unsustainable patterns of production and consumption that we have seen in the past. And in the sense, the digital transformation and climate justice will not be a good fit. But first of all, I work at the Institute for Advanced Sustainability in Potsdam, Germany, and I do research on the implications of digitalization in industry for sustainability. I'd like to briefly touch upon three aspects. The first is synergies and conflict lines between climate justice and digital transformation. Then second, what do businesses have to do with these synergies and conflicts? And thirdly, how can civil society contribute to redesigning digitalization, as I mentioned, and bring it together with climate justice? First of all, about the synergies and, and conflicts. When we think of climate justice, we can find a lot of similarities between climate justice and digital justice. If we think of climate justice as a political concept that acknowledges the ethical dimension of climate change, then we see that with digital transformation, we have the same issues arising in terms of digital technologies being used heterogeneously across the globe. So different groups in society use different technologies and some don't use digital technologies. That's what we call the digital divide. For instance, 2.9 billion or 37% of the global population still has no access to the internet. And 96%, so almost the entirety of this group of people, lives in low-income countries. There's an aspect of justice in the digital sphere as well. Now, when we go to my second aspect, the businesses, what do they have to do with it? I'd like to differentiate two dimensions of environmental impacts of digital technologies. On the one hand, we have direct impacts. That would be the ecological backpack of digital technologies. When we produce digital technologies, emissions are emitted. We use water, we use resources. So there's a lot 
of environmental impact here, it's actually the biggest part of the environmental impact. Then we also have environmental impact of digital technologies in the use phase, so it costs energy or we use energy. And ultimately, at the end of the life of digital products, there are more problems with e-waste. On the side of the indirect impacts, I would like to point to the hope that arises with digital technology use. Because we think that if we use digital technologies, for instance, a smart meter to to measure the energy or the electricity we, we use at home, this will have a positive effect on the environment because we can save energy and so on. But I believe that when people think of efficiency gains, they often forget that when we increase efficiency in the past, we've seen that people tended to use more of the same thing because it became more efficient, because it became cheaper. And then the overall effect sometimes turned to the opposite and we actually consumed more energy. So this is a bit of a counterintuitive effect that really applies to a lot of areas. And now to close with, I would like to point to the third aspect that I mentioned, how can civil society contribute to helping to shift digital transformation towards a more climate just development? I think we have a lot of individual but also political levers that we can address. For instance, we can use our devices for a longer time. Recently, I read from the Free Software Foundation Europe that has a campaign that's called Upcycling Android. It should allow people to use their smartphones for a longer time by providing free software that circumvents the problem of outdated software, which is sometimes even created by companies on purpose. So this is an individual thing, but of course, politics also has to address this issue. And my colleague, my co-panelist will talk about circularity in the supply chain Later, I think there are many more aspects, such as the right to repair on the EU level to help really use digital technologies in a more environmentally sustainable way. And the last aspect for my opening statement is that regarding these indirect effects that I mentioned about increasing efficiency, but at the same time using more resources at the end, the question should be, why am I actually using digital technologies in a certain situation? What I find in, in many papers and much of the research is that sometimes it can be a co-benefit of digital technologies to create more sustainable systems. But unless we really put our focus on the environmental benefits of digital technologies, they cannot really unfold the potential. So we should focus on system questioning digital technologies that really help us to reflect on the possible benefits of digitalization for climate justice, because only when digital technologies are focused on sustainability, they can really contribute to climate justice. Thank you. Stephanie, thank you so much. So we will keep going. And Alfred Schum is speaking with us from Bremen in Germany. Alfred, would you unmute yourself? And nice to see you and tell us a bit about yourself, the organization you work with, and your perspective on this. Yeah, hi, I'm Alfred. I'm a biologist and I'm working for WWF in Germany. Uh, this is just a symbol for digitalization, let's say, a school of herring, big numbers, big data, close meshed networks, self-controlled learning system, synergies possible and protection happening. But they are most often even better organized networks aiming to efficient exploitation. 
another symbol. So digitalization is just only a tool, can be used for the better or can go really wrong. Think about rebound effects, Stephanie just mentioned, or control and manipulation of millions. So what we need is to set the frame. What do we really care about? And this is just some findings out of psychology and sociological research. This is what matters most all over the place, be it in Germany, in India, or in the Congo. This is what people most care about. This is what we should care about when we use digitalization for climate justice, for resource justice, and so on and so forth. So means the frame for digitalization, for the use of digital innovations is always the green area in between overrunning the planetary boundaries, then we will have climate change in case of CO2, or not reaching the needs of uh, human beings and societies. And this just shows what, what I just have uh, shown you on the, on the first picture regarding the real needs of people. I want to quickly introduce how we used digital data to gain transparency for good management. Commons are like the air, like the soil, but as well like fish. And so this example is of fish, which has to do, you will see it in the end, a lot with climate as well. So we use data, the communication between vessels, which reach just by chance satellites. We use this data and we are able to follow, to track vessels, in this case, fishing vessels. And our interest, of course, is monitoring to enable good management. These green parts are protected areas. And we have been interested in, for example, this one, a protected areas where we understood there is some strange movement of a fishing vessel. When you then get not only these satellite data, but other big data in combination, you can filter out the speed. And the speed, low speed, is an indication for bottom trawling means you destroy the soil, the, the bottom of the ocean, which is in this case protected. So it's forbidden to do it. And with this opportunity of using huge data, digital tools like databases, like satellite data, you will be able to understand what happens out there. And now I'm back to the key ingredients of good management of the commons, of the things that are not private owned, but essential for us, like the, the air, the soil, or the fish. And what is key is on the one hand, transparency and equal access to information, and of course, graduated sanctions. Eleanor Ostrom got the Nobel Prize in the last century for her findings. Digital data, public accessible data and transparency are the prerequisite for monitoring control surveillance and therefore law enforcement as well as good management and as well responsible businesses. In the end, digital data and digitalization can break the waves, but only if we use it right. And that is what I wanted to let you know. And this is regarding COVID, but it's as well regarding climate justice, stopping the climate crisis, but as well the biodiversity crisis. So the hope is that these data help to increase transparency and do right actions, but it's always depending on the frame that we apply to the digital development. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Really fun to see how technology has benefited sort of monitoring bad behavior from, from fisheries, for example. Really cool. Thank you for sharing that with us, Alfred. We will come back to you. So third, we have Syed is joining us from India. And Syed, could you please unmute yourself and turn on your camera and tell us a bit about, hi there, about who you are and what it is you're doing. Great to see you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Barb. Thank you, International Center for Civil Society. And Carl, thank you and all the co-panelists and debaters here. And I am Syed Kazi and I represent an organization called Digital Empowerment Foundation, which is based out of New Delhi, India, and we work all over the country. And, and this organization is a 20 years old organization and it's a purely implementing organization. We implement programs, actions on the ground based on the digital needs of the communities and the problem solving and all those necessary things. So I come with a background of, of course, not a research or academic per se, but of course, with the experience of what is the ground level of situations and and also how and what kind of technologies required to address those fundamental problems that a country like India still we are trying to overcome and being one of the major country in the global south. And, and so that is what background I come from. And so, of course, when I got this agenda and the topic, then I was thinking that why this topic or uh, why this topic is important, not important for a country like India at this point of time, I was just thinking and then thinking and then I thought that certainly it's important as of today, it's very, very important and critical for a country like India to talk about, debate and discuss about digital transformation, climate and environmental justice. And this is the right time because there's no time for right time, this is the right time. Firstly, that of course, India has got independence, just 72 years old country, which is, uh, you know, we are still overcoming those fundamental needs of development, social economic needs, and infrastructure needs and all. We as a country, we tried our best and until date, we have been trying to fulfill those basic needs all across the country, number one. And at the same time, we have a billion plus population that is the one of the world's largest, second largest in the world. And you can imagine the needs of the people, the various levels of need and the necessities of people, certainly. And in this need to deal with this problem of social economic justice and institutional justice, certainly technology is required to connect to so many people to deal with the major information communication processes, reach out to the people, connect and address those needs, and how technology can really accelerate this problem solving. Certainly, it's a big need for India, and that is where India stands today as the one of the biggest importer of digital goods and products and services. And at the same time, while in this pursuit for this digital needs, technology needs to, for the millions of people, India has also acquired the status of the second largest e-waste producer in the world, according to the Global E-Waste Monitor 2020. And so that is a dilemma now, what to do now. On the one hand, we have those millions of still unfulfilled digital needs. At the same time, the e-waste 
mounting e-waste, the challenges of e-waste, because the country has a priority to deal with. There are other priorities also. So in this midst of this dilemma and this whole contradiction, certainly the challenge is how do we have a balanced approach in a country like India, which also the world looks at India or the global south looks at India, how we are balancing these twin aspects of development and which also has to be just and, and, and also inclusive, just and also climate and environment sensitive because we have a good base of environment climate position till date now. So how we don't accelerate and try to spoil everything. So in that process, I think as a bigger approach, circular economy of digital devices or electronic or electrical segment is a good approach to deal with, fundamental approach to deal with, keeping in mind the economic needs and social needs and environmental needs in a country like India, where there are more millions to be connected into the digital networks and is still getting connected. And also that is where I see that the circular economy approach will help us to deal with this multiple challenges of social needs, of digital inclusion, connectivity and all. And, and at the same time, having an alternative economy created around reuse, repair, recycling industries, alternative economy, where we can extract those secondary resources from the urban mines of electronic products of waste that we are piling up in, in India. And at the same time, and also how do we have a safeguard? We can create a safeguard right now because we have better examples from the global north that certainly we can take those examples and safeguard ourselves, countries like India and other countries who can still safeguard better instead of letting things go out of hand and then coming back here now let us uh, try to correct and, and, and also solve those problems. So instead of waiting till that phase, I think this is the right time to get this in the right frame of policies and programs. And at the same time, I must tell you that for good reason or for better wisdom, I think has uh, come our political leadership also that recently the government of India has come out with a draft framework for circular economy in the electronics and digital waste segment, and which is really a welcome step for us as a civil society organization. And we look forward that this approach will certainly help India to have a strategy in place and also be a global example of how we are balancing our needs at the same time, keeping in mind the climate and environmental justice and right now and right away. And so that's it, I'll stop here. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, Syed. The four of us now have a chance to chat a bit and offer questions to each other. So Stephanie, I'm gonna to come to you first. Do you have something you'd like to pose to either Alfred or Syed? Sure, one question I have in mind about the circular economy is really, when does it reach its limits? Or put differently, are we able to have a circular economy of, of those digital products that are out there or do we have to as I also pointed to like redesign the way we construct digital technologies in order for them to to be part of this circular system great great thank you thank you and I think if I heard you correctly that you are saying that is already the circular economic practices are on the ground or we need to reinvent something new as a strategy or a technology or something if I'm correct Yes, and maybe adding that we now say that companies do not have a have an interest and maybe do not construct technologies in, in a way that enable circularity. I think my response will be two-sided response. One is that already the circularity processes are already happening, happening in any country like India. Because the whole e-waste collection and also then the reuse, repair, recycling processes is already happening in India. 
I'm just giving an example of India, but this is happening at largely in the informal sector. Informal sector, which is out of the mainstream sector where the government cannot regulate or government cannot track the data or information or the whole chain of the circularity economy. But already is the basic steps or process are already happening there. And I think for a country like India, there's a good point to start with that already there is a huge e-waste collection happening in the informal segment. Repairing is happening, reuse happening, and also the repair products are also entering the market by those small repairers and all. So why don't we make them part of the mainstream circular approach and the framework? Because that is already there. That is one thing that we have to keep that in mind. We have a, we have a good point to start with in India. And that is what we look at. The second aspect that you mentioned about is that certainly the manufacturers don't have that, uh, you know, they don't uh, believe so much in the circularity of in the design processes and all. But then again, I think because the public procurement, because the government of every country has the strength and the ability and the resources to discuss and negotiate with these manufacturers that we need this kind of products only, that kind of products only, because we know our country, we know our ecology, we know our climate. So certainly that negotiation capacity and the government has it. But again, that the government sensitivity to these aspects of design of devices for the circularity or just the environmental standards or climate standards has to be fixed by the government. And that priority has to be come to the government. And where that is where civil society organizations like us have a role to play in that. If I responded correctly. Thanks. Uh, to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Alfred, do you have a question for either of our other panelists? Yeah, of course, Stephanie. I'm always struggling with digitalization and I heard you do the same. Have you any, let's say, key topics where you think digitalization could make the breakthrough to sustainability, could could really help and speed it up? Yeah, probably if I if I had that idea, I'd uh, have my own uh, enterprise. Uh, no, I think there are a lot of good ideas. And, and one particular area of particular interest for me is the supply chain. I think we've heard in the past a lot about the blockchain solutions to supply chain transparency. I mean, there, there are a lot of downsides to it also because of the information that we input is already not valid. If, if we say this is a responsibly sourced metal and it is not the case, then the digital technology won't save us or won't help us in verifying this information. But you I mean think... the, the crap in, crap out problem, <laughs> even in a, in a nice supply chain. That, that the typical crap in crap out problem but there are aspects of digitalization and and this is also what i mean by system questioning digitalization where we can transform the ways in which we produce and interact in social contexts and consume even and i think circular approaches are really beneficial and have a great potential the inclusion of renewable energies in the system that is somehow managed by a digital tool so helping to manage the volatility of renewable energies, these are some areas that I find particularly promising. Mm. I actually wanted to follow up on that myself. As you were talking, I was thinking about, and as you talked about in your introduction, the usability of Android phones longer with this open source software that allows workarounds for some of the problems of feeling a need to get a newer phone or and not continue using one that's workable. How can we as consumers leverage that consumer power to try to get companies? Because it sounds like there's 
issues of we're not the the large conglomerates that are creating some of these issues, but but what can we as consumers do to leverage that buying power? I would start, maybe the others can can also come in here. Of course, there are these lighthouse examples like the Fairphone. And the Fairphone, for those who don't know it, it's just a company that tries to produce in responsible ways and source responsibly and also um, take into account certain environmental criteria. But then there are also downsides to it, like sometimes you don't have the right replacement material, so it takes a long time for them to deliver certain parts of the phone to replace broken parts. And I don't want to talk anything bad about the company, but, but I think there's only so much that consumers can do if there's no offer from the companies to buy environmentally friendly laptops. And, and I'm not aware of any environmentally friendly laptops, really, only those that you don't buy new but used laptop and other used uh, like secondhand technologies. So I'm a bit uh, hesitant to push the responsibility to the consumer, but of course the consumer can push governments to regulate more and to make it easier to buy responsibly. What do the others think? I definitely hone in because if we reduce the people to consumers, we already lost. It means I'm always preaching stop shopping. So don't be any longer depending on all these artificial needs. And then you will have and get together with your peers and try to influence your immediate surrounding. Of course, that doesn't help with the computer. I know this. But it helps with a lot of other things like plastics, like packaging in plastics. Yeah? So if, if you are, don't underestimate that. If, if you think, let's get rid of that. You go together with your peers and you start with one of the shops and each one after each other goes in and says, I don't want it with plastics. And then there will be a learning effect. But move away from that you can change and transform markets by just buying the right things because these often don't exist. So make it transparent and do it different. And don't think you have to do everything right firsthand. Make the simple things first. Thanks, Alfred. Syed, would you like to weigh in on this one as well? Uh, yes, I think that to be more responsible user of devices and also the production of such friendly devices, I need to say that. We cannot just put all the responsibility on the consumer behavior because that is a big thing to expect also because, uh, you know, and also these consumers are at different levels of knowledge, understanding, behaviors, perceptions and all. And I think uh, the decision has to be at the higher level in government as the custodian of welfare and safety and, and whatnot. So government has the capacity and the wisdom also with those intelligent people around, experts around, academics around and all. So the decisions has to be taken at that level instead of waiting to that, you know, the uh, consciousness, awareness levels and all things like that, because that is, it's a long drawn process. And by the time we will be, I think we'll lose loss of the available grounds. I think that the government has to be more responsive and responsible. And also I feel that more visionary in that case, because otherwise the, you know, the cost of mitigating those damages would be much more rather than now taking precautions and those safeguards right away. And, and in fact, without bothering too much about the gross domestic product or the revenue generations and things like that, because we are at the end, we need happiness. We don't need those stresses around and all those 
things. And one example I would like to highlight here is that during COVID times, in two, almost two years of lockdown in India or in many countries of the world, we survived. We There was no production at all. And the production level was very low of digital devices and all. There was no market at all as such to buy and all. But still we survived. We got connected and all. And, and there was more circularity of reuse and repair and reusing of devices, old devices. We survived. We just fulfilled our needs. So those kind of, I think, perception or those narrative has to be brought to the mainstream level also. And that is where the environment will be happy. And in lockdown also, the whole climate and the whole and these whole emissions, everything has gone down. You can see the change effect in, if you just compare pre-lockdown, lockdown, and now also. So you can see the changes around. And these are all live examples for us to see and just to take actions. Thank you so much. And I appreciate that from all of you, because I think often the responsibility in some sectors is thrown toward the consumer. And in fact, it's it's governments, it's others that need to be making choices and changing things. So I appreciate that. Stephanie, I wanted, you mentioned in your opening statement about system questioning digitalization, and I wanted to come back to you to hear a little bit more about what that means and get your thoughts on it. Thank you. I think it actually links nicely to, to what we've just discussed. What is the responsibility of the consumer? And I thinking of the use of digital technologies from a meta point of view, asking the question, why am I using a certain technology in a certain situation? That also is a kind of reflection that can happen on the individual level and it can happen and it should happen on the political and on the industry level. And this is what I mean with the system questioning digitalization would, in my view, I mean, it's not a fixed concept, but it would be a type of digitalization, digital transformation that puts into question these economic constraints that, that we see being, for instance, digital technologies being used in economic context just to accelerate a system that we have seen to, to be harming the environment in many aspects, consuming resources and not using them in circular ways, not bringing them back into the circle. So trying to think uh, digital technologies in the sense of how can they contribute to really questioning the very systemic uh, conditions that we have in order to create more climate justice. To make it more concrete, I think open source software, and Shona also mentioned this in the chat, is a good example of, of a software approach to not pay into the system of Google and uh, Amazon and others for web services, but to create services in the communities where the services are used. I think we have to be aware that whenever we do a Google search, we also support a system of digitalization that is based on a targeted advertisement. So people are expected to buy more because I present the right advertisement to them. And this is all, I believe, part of destructive economic system that can somehow be questioned by doing the right digital moves or, or using digital technologies in, in the right way. I don't know if that answered your question. It's a bit of a lengthy answer. <laughs> no problem. Yes, I think it did. I think it ties nicely into this awareness of what it is that we're doing as we go through our sort of everyday technological lives. And sometimes those choices are made for us, but sometimes we can take an active role in that. 
It's true. And and just want to say there are a lot of resources out there. So when you start just looking for alternatives, alternative platforms that you can use, like be it social media platforms or collaborative tools online, even video conferencing tools. I mean, it's just a small part of what we're doing, but we can make this act of choice. And I think businesses can also increasingly make these choices to act more towards a different kind of digitalization. Yeah, definitely. Alfred, as you were talking earlier in your opening statement, when you were talking about the use of commons rules, I thought that was fascinating. And I it raised a question in me, and maybe others are wondering the same, maybe others already know, but are these generally agreed on by countries around the world? Or is this a concept that some follow and some don't? Or... <laughs> Maybe that's a bigger question than I think, but they seem to be, you know, also sort of common sense about how we should look at these resources and air, water, probably also even space that, that we should have some sort of common agreement on that. And so where is that? Everything you can't possess, like the air, yeah? or uh, even the fish out there, because the fisherman is just using a commons source, but therefore you need administration yeah? and, and government and policy and so on and so forth to, to make it a good management. The concept of commons is commonly agreed on, and the findings of Eleanor Ostrom and a lot of followers are universal. There's a lot of science done. And the interesting issue there is, of course, if something doesn't belong to anybody, then the community is responsible for good management. But therefore, you need the full transparency of everybody in the community. So equal access to information is crucial. And that is, for example, often a problem. Again, fisheries, I worked on that for 10 years globally. The managers know about the movements of the vessels, but the public is not knowing it. And there's too often a conflict of interest. So when we publicized or when we went to the negotiation tables with that information we got out of our satellite system, that was a quantum loop. And out of a sudden, we were at the same eye level because we had the same knowledge. And what happened then is, and therefore I believe, and it's proven that transparency is the only one and first conditio sine qua non. Out of the sudden, it turned out, of course, the managers knew about it. But there was a conflict of interest to be harsh in implementing existing rules and regulations. But when it was out there, outspoken, they had to implement. And this improved the situation, the implementation of existing rules and regulations and additional rules and regulations were done due to this. Of course, the second thing is you have to have rules and regulations. Yes, of course. And the power to implement them. So carrots and sticks. Yeah. So the normal things. But yes, it's common <laughs> and it's well scientifically uh, understood. Yeah. Thank you so much. And if I understood you, then it's the the role of technology is is one that can be used for for greater transparency and to to put things on a more equal playing field if they're used. Oh yeah, that that was the reason why I brought that uh, that example. You can do it with CO two, what whatever. But this was key. Without satellite technology, big data which you only can manage with digital tools, we wouldn't have been able to know about it. So that's the good thing with yeah. digital and technological improvements. 
that the opportunity to get knowledge about issues is increasing. But it's important that this is publicly accessible. That's key. So it's not enough if somebody says, yeah, but the management knows about it. That's not enough. It has to be a balance of power. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm going to go to some of the questions in the chat. And Carl had a question for Syed. And that is, what is your opinion on the e-waste exportation from the global north to the countries of the global south? I'm guessing we could all probably assume some of your opinion, but, but maybe even beyond that is what might be done about it. So the question is that the global import of e-waste to the south, southern country and global south, and how to deal with it, if I've understood that question. There are two sort of problems. One is the legal import, and another is the illegal import. And the illegal imports is more than the legal imports. And that is where the traceability is, uh, is a challenge in terms of how do we trace the supply chain of these imports also. And that brings to the question of how do we know the magnitude of the problem that we are sitting on? That is one. And second is, of course, we don't have the data exactly the magnitude of the problem. And based on that, finding solutions or strategies is a challenge for this country. Second is, of course, the kind of imports happening around, but also at the same time, you don't have the, the capacity, the infrastructure or the safety standards in place, the policy frameworks in place to deal with these imports, which could be utilized effectively if we have all these provisions on the right environmental and human rights way to deal with this management of imports so that we can reuse, recycle, and also create an alternative economy with these imports if responsibly used. And the third aspect could be that, uh, you know, of course, the silently hidden imports that could also destroy the ecology and environment that unknowingly, unknowingly, that is another aspect that the civil society organizations or the government has to uh, look at it. So these are two, three aspects of this imports of uh, e-waste into the northern, southern countries that uh, needs to be looked at policy level, at the environmental level, at at the management level, economy level, and human rights angle also. There are some multiple angles to that. So I think that's what I would say as of now. Thank you so much. Stephanie, there was a question earlier in the chat for you about whether you see risks in the push for renewables and unsustainable demand for the minerals and resources needed for renewables like solar technology. Of course, I mean, with growing demand for energy and, and, and electricity, there's always risk that we run from one shortage or from one problem into the next. And I believe that everybody who, who criticizes that has a point. But I also think that people sometimes do not realize how destructive other technologies are, which we are the destructions we don't see. We are presently in an unsustainable system and we have to make sure that our move towards renewable energies is not as unsustainable as it is right now. But what I think is that we don't really have a choice but to find the least emission or least polluting technologies. And I think the the overall balance still is better for the renewable energies. But but I see the problem and, and I think we do have to make sure that the regulation is in place to prevent the worst. What, what do the others think? Yeah, if I, if I may add. So as, as long as we believe that we, we only have to produce as much as possible renewable energy, we are on the completely wrong path. We need renewable energies, yes. 
but at the same time we need to reduce our needs and we are in a system even politicians really believe in it though unfortunately there there are not a lot of natural scientists in policy nowadays they believe that we can grow forever and not harm the earth that's bullshit yeah so that is against any physical laws which we unfortunately depend on and there are even the findings as long as as you have an ever growing system these systems are always running into instability and that is of course the same with the renewable energies if you believe that is the only problem and just let's put everything into increasing energy supply then you are on the wrong path but of course renewable energy can solve the wrong path we had in the past with using oil gas and and coal solar energy decentral solar energy coupled through digital connections digital regulated connections is great because it's decentralized you take the power away from from the big companies that produce energy that want an increase of energy use and so on and so forth so digitalization can help and yes renewable energy is important but of course you have to do it right <sighs> yes and isn't that the thing i'm so glad you brought that up because this has been something that's on my mind and i think on the minds of many this you cannot grow forever and when money is the root of why you want things to keep producing we're not going to escape our problems and and therefore just to add this one sentence therefore it's it's so important that we root on what do we really need and when we had covid out there the lockdowns and so on a neighbor who is driving two big suvs understood that going out in nature is great and this brought us together that was a a mind breaking experience for me that he understood that this is what he needs not the car mm. out there so what do we really need and these are the few things if they are all fine we are able to slow down and to consume according the planetary boundaries let's say Yeah, I I do think though this opens a whole other can of worms of why we think we need things of course and that's another debate completely but we have to wrap up our time is up. First of all for anyone who hasn't looked in the chat Stephanie also added some questions to move towards system questioning digitalization and these are great for you all who have joined us today as members of civil society organizations and so please take a look at that there's been a lot of links put into the chat so click on those click away while we're still going so that you can take a look at them later but i want to say thank you first of all to our three panelists for joining that time went all too fast and you've certainly just touched the surface of what these issues are and what can be done about them but i think all of us have been challenged in some way and i i hope that each of us finds places to take actions in our individual lives but also on a larger scale supporting politicians and and getting some natural scientists back into policy it sounds like that would make alfred very happy alfred for president 2022 so <laughs> Thank you all. Just really quickly, the session recording is going to be archived on the digital debate section of the center's website, so uh, the link will come around to you. Feel free to share it with anyone. On behalf of our wonderful three panelists and the International Civil Society Center, I'm Barbara Iverson. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next time.